Welcome to Online Worship. My name is Whitney Fellerman, and I have some announcements to share with you today. First off, thank you for your commitment to pivoting, as we have decided to be a part of the solution during this pandemic. It's hard, we miss each other, but thank you for walking alongside us. We do hope to return to in-person worship on February 20th, with no online worship on February 13th due to the Super Bowl that the Vikings are not in, but maybe next year. We are excited to share with you a children's ministry update. The team was able to interview a handful of very great candidates last week. We will have another update for you within two weeks. If you haven't had the opportunity to get connected, we uh, encourage you to do so. You can do that by texting the word table to 33222. Again, that's texting the word table to 33222. You'll be in the loop on all, all there is to know. Last but not least, thank you for your generosity and how this church gives. If you would like to donate, you can go to the table mpls.com and click the giving tab. That's it for me. Time to pass it to Matt for his message. Be well. Hey, good evening, everyone. My name is Matt Moberg. Welcome to church. Um, I will be your host for this part of the service. This is where we dive into the scripture in hopes that something in there might feed us right here. Hopes that our stories that go in will walk out a little bit wider. We're hoping that we're going to get better by taking a moment out of our busy distracted ADHD lives to pause and look at sacred text in helps of aligning our own compasses here and now. Uh, we follow the lectionary here at the table, or at least we do when we're not in a series, and right now we're not in a series. We are in the season of Epiphany, but we're not in a series. And so the lectionary tonight has led us to the weeping prophet, old man Jeremiah, from many moons ago. Jeremiah is a fascinating prophet in my mind because well, there's a lot of different reasons, I suppose, but one of the first things that pops up for me is that he was tasked with doing something that none of us would want to do. He, he was to oppose the corrupt and crooked political structures, knowing that there was no chance of making a dent in that darkness. Nobody was going to budge from their positions of power, and yet Jeremiah kept pounding on their doors, kept insisting that they would. It got to the point where Jeremiah had to ultimately just say, um, you know, if, if I could shut up about it, I would shut up about it, but I got like this fire in my bones, and if I keep quiet, it will burn me alive. Have you ever had something inside of you that if it doesn't find a way to appropriately come out of you, you feel like it's going to bury you alive? If so, you might kind of understand what Jeremiah was going through. Very different, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you're not in that space exactly, but, but similar though feelings and whatnot. The text that we're going to for Jeremiah today, though, it is not about his, um, his vocational charge as a prophet as much as his initial call into prophecy. It's, it's interesting, you know, if you get to the back half of the book of Jeremiah, um, I think it's 36, but I'll put up the correct text if it's not. But there's this moment where the Lord insists to Jeremiah that everything that he done told him, all the, the oracles, all of the prophecies that the Spirit has moved through this man, all of that, you should write that down. 
we should create like this anthology of sorts. Let's keep a good record and keep it tidy and clean. Let's tell all the stories of the things that are said to document this time in history. And so Jeremiah does that, but Jeremiah goes beyond that because he includes the initial invitation into the task. And so really quickly today, I just want to pull out a couple different things that I've noticed in this Jeremiah 1 text that I think could actually be helpful for you. I think that if you take these words and you, you let them marinate over your life and you think intentionally upon them and asking what is the formative thing that I'm being invited into in, in light of them, I think you're going to see some fruitful things start to, to blossom in your life. I really do believe that. Jeremiah 1 is where we're going to go and it reads like this. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. So Jeremiah is a, a PK. Out of the gates, that's the first thing Jeremiah wants us to know when he's trying to introduce himself. He is a pastor's kid. He grew up uh, surrounded by not just religious paraphernalia, but also religious leadership. That's who dad was. Dad was the person who was instructing him in Torah. Dad was the person who was instructing him in the history of uh, God moving among the people. That's the house that Jeremiah grew up in. And that house was located in Anathos, which is less than a day's walk away from the city of Jerusalem. So he was positioned close to the center of power. It wasn't in the center of power, but close enough where you could levy a critique because you smelt how foul the odors had come. The winds had carried that noise to you. Carry on, Matt. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, I'm gonna stop again, because this is kind of trippy, isn't it? This is why it's really good to kind of read these texts and um, go beyond the obligatory recitation of it into like, what's, what is being said here? What is it doing to me? What do I hear inside of it? It's fascinating to me that in Jeremiah 1, you have verse one that says, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah. That's what this book is about. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah. But then you get to verse two and it says, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year. So which one is it? I mean, what we're about to read when you read the totality of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, this anthology, this collection, um, is it your words or is it the word of the Lord? Are these prophecies coming from a Hebrew prophet or are these prophecies coming from a higher power? The answer that I would submit to you is yes. Uh, I would say absolutely, that, that's how it works. And I actually think this is an important thing, so don't mind me as I harp on it for a moment here. I had somebody tell me recently that when I was sharing with them my own journey towards sobriety, one of their first responses, this is a Christian person said, you know, you just got to be mindful because sometimes when you let your guard down, uh, your flesh can take over and hijack all of the progress that you have made. And, and I kind of did the polite nod, but it, it stuck in my head a little bit because the idea in saying something like that is that unless I shut down my humanity, God will never open up to me God's divinity. Uh, unless I somehow find a way to forfeit the flesh, unless I somehow find a way to uh, be all God and none of me, then God's not going to come through me. But this text right here says it was the words of Jeremiah and the word of the Lord. It says it came from this Hebrew prophet and it came from a higher power. So think about what that actually means for your story. Because 
when we consider what God is like, who God is like, what kind of characteristics emerge when we consider the divine, I, I think that as Christians, we look to Jesus, who Jesus said, listen, if you get your eyes on me, you get what I'm about, then you get what God's about. You look at me, you look at God, you look at God, you're going to see somebody like me. If Jesus is right, that when you've seen him, you've seen the Father, if Jesus is what God looks like, why are we so tempted so often to not make God look like Jesus, but instead to make God look like Geppetto? See, there are so many people whose lives and sanity has been saved by being able to evolve beyond this limited, um, unbiblical understanding of God that paints the picture of God as some kind of punitive monster, only to fall into a different kind of lie that said God's not a monster, he's not a punitive monster, but God is a puppet master. But if God is like Jesus, then God is not like Geppetto. Jesus is the embodiment of compassion, and compassion has no control. Compassion cuts all strings that look like puppet strings. It, it empowers and equips you to thrive. It enters into your story, it doesn't take over your story. And so if God is like Jesus, then God is not Geppetto. The words of Jeremiah and the word of the Lord, they are merging together in a marriage, tangled up. God's holiness comes through our humanity, not in spite of our humanity, but in collaboration and cooperation with our humanity. And so in these first two verses alone, we get this crystal clear understanding from Jeremiah that you and I and Jeremiah and everybody else, we're not robots, we're not puppets. We are not uh, being pulled on by God's strings or the devil's strings. It is spirit and story tangled up together and through collaboration. It is through proactive participation in the life of God as God's life enters the life of you that the winter world that we live in gets just a little bit warmer. And if you don't see that this is how God is working in you, you'll continue to talk yourself out of what God is calling you into. Now read the rest of the call from Jeremiah. The Spirit says to Jeremiah, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now listen to what Jeremiah says in response. So Jeremiah has the Spirit interrupting his story and giving him this profound backstory to his own life. And then Jeremiah goes, Yeah, but I don't really know how to speak. I'm actually just a little uh, too young for this gig that you got up your sleeve. And when you hear Jeremiah start to talk like that, the chasm that exists between us and him thousands of years now, it doesn't seem so wide. Because, well, I'll just ask you, what are the lies that you have learned to be limited by? What are the limiting lies that are putting a premature ceiling on your life that have interrupted your story and said you can go this far but not that far. You're good enough for here, but you're not really qualified to go there. It's fascinating. Lauren and I and the kids, we're all stuck inside the house right now because Minneapolis shut down the schools and um, it's crazy at our house. It's pure chaos. It's beautiful. It's exhausting. One of the, the things though that is constantly making noise, and by things I mean people, is our three-year-old named Graham who is uh, loud and wonderful and has a personality. I think he's going to be a musical prodigy, but I might be biased in that opinion. Every now and then, and by every now and then, I mean every other hour or so, Graham will bust into the room with either a fake microphone or a uh, ukulele, and he'll just start screaming, I have the tiger. Bam. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. 
The other day, he actually even just came into my office in the middle of a meeting and started screaming, the Beatles get back. And so that's, that's, um, that's where we're at. But when I think about this text from Jeremiah and him saying, I'm too young to do a job like this, Graham is much younger than Jeremiah was here and Graham wouldn't say that. Graham has no problem doing whatever Graham wants to do. Graham is full of confidence and yet somehow, as the years go on, we start to lose ours. The writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, she says that, uh, do not throw away your confidence. And I like that line because it presupposes that at one point you had it. You were carrying it. We all were carrying it, but it started to slip. We took a hit, we got rejected, we got neglected, we tried out, we stepped out, we got stepped on, we got bruised, we got uh, wounded in some kind of way, some kind of dream maybe got suddenly deflated and all of a sudden we are disqualifying ourselves for the very discovery of who we were born to be who we actually are. And when we do that, when we give ourselves these, these limiting lies and subscribe to them ultimate truth, we are saying that God can come this far in our story, but no further. How is it that we arrive on earth as these perfect little bundles of joy and then set about this daily task of learning how to unlove ourselves? I mean, how ridiculous is that? Self-love, love of self, that is the most basic elementary tasks that we are here for, and yet it flies right out the window the moment that outside information starts to climb in. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about like conceit or narcissism, because those things also come from a place of deep fear and insecurity, but I am talking about embracing all that you are with no apology attached. When's the last time you've been able to do that? When's the last time you stood in front of a mirror and you said, this, is good the way that God stood over creation and said this is good this is what I've been looking for Jeremiah responds to God's call to prophecy with personal protests of inadequacy and I think that we do that all the time I think that somewhere along the way we lose our confidence we lose our sense of we are capable we are qualified we are equipped to thrive in this moment and yet it's weird because simultaneously we're looking for the thing that we're keeping ourselves from. You know what I mean? Like we are saying that we are not cut out to do this, to live fully, to forgive recklessly, to love dangerous. We're saying that like we can only do this much and yet we are constantly aching for that much. We're constantly looking to go beyond where we believe we're capable and called to go. And so the question ultimately continues to come down is, do you believe that the spirit can, can merge inside of your story and bring something beautiful to fruition? A lot of people, they talk about that ache over the absence of um, the abundant life that Jesus spoke about, that ache over feeling like you are just outside of the promise, that you're stuck in a pile of potential, but you're not actually living into it fully. A lot of people have said that um, what that is really is there's just a God-shaped hole in your heart. That's how we've justified the normal, the normality, how normative, the default wiring in all of us to lose our confidence along the way. We take Blaise Pascal seriously when he says that inside of each of us, there is a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And yet Paul said that in God, we live and move and have our being. And my theology teachers told me that God was omnipotent and omnipresent. And so 
Tell me again how there can be a hole, how there can be an absence of something that I was promised was always present. It doesn't make sense. I do not buy it for one second. There is not a God-shaped hole in anybody's hearts. Matter of fact, I would go the other direction and say there just might be a U-shaped hole inside of God's. The Spirit tells Jeremiah that before you knew anything about you, before your parents you know, started giving each other back rubs and then one thing led to another. Before you started connecting bone and tissue and learned how to laugh and learned how to walk, before you took on toes and hair and eyes and skin and flesh, before you, I was with you. Before you, I designed you. Before you, I was intentionally bringing about the incarnation of you. There was a U-shaped hole inside of God's heart. And so in order to fill that hole, God forms you. How does that change your perspective? Listen, we talk about this all the time, but you know, nobody knows if any of this is true. Anything that we're talking about, we're talking about spirituality or theology, that's what faith is all about. But it's important that when you consider matters of faith and you're developing a framework that you have one that is actually edifying for you. And so do I know that there's a U-shaped hole in the heart of God? No, I do not. But what does it do for your paradigm if the Bible is telling the truth, if the Bible is not making up stories, but if the Bible's consistent message is standing the test of time that says that you were not an accident, you were not a mistake, you did not sneak into the world, you were spoken into it. You were put here for a purpose. You were absent before, so God said we need somebody just like you in order to take us further towards the place that we're all trying to go. How does that change how you see your own life? Jeremiah, he didn't have the backstory of his own life. Just like you and I, we don't know the backstory of our own lives. And so he wasn't able to speak about his purpose. All he knew was his problems. All he knew was his shortcomings because he couldn't see the long story. But if God is saying to you right now, if he's saying, Bill, I know you before you could know you. You are beautiful. You are here for a purpose. Nicole, I know you before you could know you. I've known you since I first started to itch and looked at the world and said that the landscape is dry and barren and we cannot get where we're trying to go unless Nicole comes here first. I could go one by one because it's always going to be true. Everyone that is here was once not here. And God said that we needed you to be present in order to fulfill some kind of absence and move us towards the thing that we are collectively longing for. How does that change you? How does that restore the confidence that you are carrying within? It's always spirit moving through stories. So Jeremiah might not really know how to talk very well, just like that sentence wasn't spoken very well, but nobody does so without flaws. I mean, Moses, who is the hero of the Old Testament, the hero of the Hebrew Scriptures, when he first catches an invitation from the divine to take on this task and allow spirit to enter his story, he says the same thing that the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, I am not cut out for this. Who am I? I can barely talk. I can barely string together a sentence. I'm not exactly Mr. Charming, Mr. Charisma, and yet God says, you're it. Paul, he's known as like this first century Wizard of Oz source where he is very eloquent and impressive in his letters, but then you get up close and personal with him and it's kind of underwhelming. Like he's, he's not checking all the boxes that we think need to be checked over and over again throughout scripture. Look at Gideon. Gideon says like, I know that you're charging me with this task, but I am a wimp and I come from a family of wimps. I'm not cut out for this work. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, thank God there are people who self-assess as subpar and they are being told again and again that it will not count against them or their efforts. They are still wanted because they did not stumble here. 
they were sent here. They, they weren't just some product of random chance. They were knit together in the mother's womb with intentional purpose in mind. So many times religion can serve as this means of bypassing the work of the soul. And we, we really cling to this belief where we need to shut down our humanity for the sake of God's divinity. And we don't understand that while we're doing so, we're not letting God in. Because spirit is looking to enter into story. And you will never be able to see Jesus for who Jesus actually is until you fully can come to peace with who God has created you to be. Until you can root yourself in how beloved you are and appropriate that in your lives, you will never be able to partner with God in the work of bringing flourishing in the world. God's invitation is to bring the word of the Lord into the words of ours and tell a beautiful, brilliant, um, uplifting story through it. We are in the midst of this time. I'll close with this. We're in the midst of this time right now where it feels like society is in this massive reset. We're asking questions um, about what life after the pandemic is going to look like and we're calling into question old answers that we carried before whether that be with institutions whether that be with um, our faith uh, the process of deconstruction all of those things are being suddenly dragged from the dark where they're safely assumed and now they're being actually assessed and that's healthy holy work that's good stuff right there um but one of the things i've noticed in conversations recently is that when i'm asking people just the low level, uh, how are you doing? What have you been up to? Again and again, I'm hearing from different people saying like, you know, I'm looking at some new job opportunities. or I'm looking at um, taking on this new craft or a new hobby or a new practice of some sorts. And so this is an important time to kind of reroute yourself in the understanding and hear the words of God echoed over your life saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You are not a mistake. You are loved. We'll see you next Sunday. What is God calling out of you? What, what's that thing inside that that just has to get out? I mean, thanks, Matt, for, for those words, especially what you're saying about um, there's not a God-shaped hole in our heart, but there might be a, a us-shaped hole in God's heart. I believe that God is always seeking after us, and and it feels like this sometimes, like like you're in sync, that that things are going well, and sometimes it feels very distant. Um, but I think part of why we get together is to to continue to remember all that, that that it is a practice that that we meet um, together to remember that that at the base of it all, that Jesus came and died, died for us, and. Uh, and before doing that, when he was meeting with his friends, he said, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood shed for you. 
we remember that every week to remind us that when we're feeling distant, that God is near. That when we're feeling close, that God is near. And together, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's worship together.